This is going to be part two of my continuing series of uh, the amazing love of God, what it means to be saved. Um, and it will be a three-part series, one to go. Uh, but today, I'm going to speak on one of the most dramatic passages in Scripture, uh, to me, that has highlighted truly what, what it means to be born again. And that is effectively the meeting between Jesus and Nicodemus. That's found in John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. And this is an extraordinary passage, you see, because Nicodemus was an extraordinary man. Uh, this was no mere Israelite. This was a guy who, according to other sources that I've read, was probably one of the three wealthiest men in Israel. He was a member of the ruling council, the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was widely considered to be one of the deepest, most profound teachers of Judaism in all of Israel. Uh, and now, you see, Nicodemus is watching what Jesus is doing. He sees the miracles. He hears about the ministry of our Lord and so he decides to come to see Jesus at night. Now, I believe there's a good reason why he came at night, and I believe the reason for that is that he was very conscious of his public posture. Uh, here he is, this great Jewish leader and Pharisee and member of the Sanhedrin, coming to meet this itinerant preacher. Uh, and clearly a guy, Jesus, is teaching in such a way he's turning everything on its head uh, in Judaism. And so he wanted to come at night. And now we're going to listen to this colloquy between Jesus and Nicodemus. And you see the inspiration of God coming through Jesus as Jesus cuts to the heart of what it's all about. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean? And how, Jesus, can you say this to a man who is at the very top of the spiritual food chain? There's nobody more religious in all of Israel than Nicodemus. And so if religion doesn't get me to where God wants me to be, and if religiosity is not the answer, well, what really is the answer? And Jesus will answer that for us today. And so John 3, verses 1 to 15, read along with me on the board. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And let me stop there and show you the heart of God. You can't flatter God. You understand? You can't flatter God. Oh, Jesus. Oh, and he calls him rabbi. Rabbi. Imagine a guy uh, with this kind of background saying to this itinerant preacher, rabbi, and Jesus really is not interested in flattery. He cuts to the heart of the matter. 
And this to me is a lesson to me even uh, as I study scripture and I learn to how to present the word of God, cutting to the heart of the matter. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now let's understand something. That term born again doesn't show up before this time anywhere in scripture. It's alluded to, and we'll get to it, but the actual terminology of born again doesn't show up until Jesus uses this. And Nicodemus replies, how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asks, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And so you see, even this gifted Bible teacher, religious leader, didn't understand the spiritual nature of what Jesus was saying. Uh, and, and this becomes quite evident. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. What an incredible passage as Jesus comes face to face with this religious leader and just cuts it all down to size. And so you understand, as you see this colloquy, you understand how religiosity doesn't cut it, how being a part of a religious denomination does not cut it. The question is, what does the Holy Spirit say to your heart? What is God saying to you? And so here you have this man, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, a member of the Sanhedrin. You couldn't find a more prominent Jew if you look for him. Uh, and his coming to Jesus at night is a very sign of his timidity. He didn't want, really, the Jewish community to see him. But here's the amazing story, and I'll go to the end to tell you this. Nicodemus becomes a believer. Now, we don't know that explicitly, but we do know that when Jesus died and it came time for his body to be taken down from the cross, we know that two men did that. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to take the body of Christ. So obviously at that time, Nicodemus was no longer afraid uh, of his pub public posture of being affiliated with Jesus. It's an incredible story. And so, you know, Nicodemus approaches Jesus with great respect. He's saying to him, Rabbi, meaning you are a great teacher. You, you are doing all these miracles. You have to be from God. No one could do what you're doing without having this power given to him by God. 
Uh, and so he demonstrates his willingness to listen to Jesus. And he's coming because, frankly, he knows the scripture and he knows that the Messiah is coming. And I'm certain within his heart of hearts, he wanted to find out, is it possible that this itinerant preacher could possibly be uh, the Messiah? And so Jesus responds in great seriousness uh, to Nicodemus uh, and, and explains to him what it means to become a member of the kingdom of God. What do you need to enter the kingdom of God? Are you there because you're a Pharisee? Are you there because you're in the Sanhedrin? Are you there because you're a Bible teacher? And frankly, none of that matters one whit. The question is, what is your heart? Have you accepted God in your heart? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And so Jesus now uses this new form of expression, you must be born again. And let me give you a personal insight from myself growing up uh, in the late 50s and 60s. Uh, there came a time when, uh, when there were a group of people called uh, the Jesus Freaks and the Jesus Movement, and you'd have to be about my age, which is 35, to remember this. Uh, but it got to be a point where you really didn't want to tell people you were born again because they had pejoratively ruined that terminology. Because if you said you were born again, basically what it meant to a lot of people is you were a freak. You were out there. Uh, and so uh, it got to be a ruinous phrase, but this, this is where it first started out. And Jesus is using this for the first time. You must be born again. Uh, and so what is Jesus trying to convey to Nicodemus? What is he trying to get over to him? Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus that entrance into the kingdom of God cannot be had simply because you're born a Jew, simply because you're born an Israelite. I don't care what your mother and father were. I don't care that your people came out of Egypt. I don't care that you were the chosen people and that God blessed you. None of that matters today. What matters today right now is are you accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you bowing before the throne of God? Are you, in effect, becoming born again? Uh, and so what you understand here is Jesus is conveying the fact that in order to enter the kingdom of God, it requires a mysterious new birth, a new beginning of life. And so Nicodemus needs a radical renewal, uh, which seems impossible to do by oneself. And it is impossible. You cannot do it yourself. You cannot decide one day I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to become a better person. You're failed. You will fail miserably, and you know that because of all the New Year's resolutions that you decided to do on January 1, and what are we now, the 8th or the 9th, and you've broken them all. You understand that? That's the nature of humanity. You understand? You can't change yourself yourself, but he can change you forever through the Holy Spirit, and that's what Jesus was conveying here. And so Jesus, in a few short sentences, and that's what's amazing about God and about Lord and really why I, it makes an emphasis in my own life about when I preach and I try to preach within 30 minutes because it's the example of Jesus. Jesus didn't go on for hour after hour after hour. He condensed this thinking in a short few sentences and delivered it with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And that's the way good preaching ought to be, all right? So that when you leave here and somebody says, what did your preacher preach on? You don't say, he was good, but I really can't tell you what he said, okay? Because I know a lot of places where that's the case. Well, when you come here, I want you to say, he was good, and this is what he said, because that's the point of this. And so Jesus uses the designation here, son of man. Now, if you were a devout Jew, you knew full well what he was talking about, the son of man. And Jesus used that self-designation 81 times, more than any other description. That's the description he used to describe himself. And that came out of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14 where it says, in my vision at night, and this is Daniel now, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus said it to Nicodemus, you are looking at the Son of Man. And any Jew who knew his scripture knew, whoa, wow. That means the Son of Man is God himself. His kingdom will last forever. His dominion will last forever. He was with the Ancient of Days. Yes, that's this Jesus of Nazareth. And so Jesus' final challenge to Nicodemus is that faith in the Son of Man, in the Son of Man, is the only way to avoid the penalty of death. Uh, As the Son of Man was lifted up and would be lifted up on a cross, Jesus would die and also be lifted up on a pole just like the bronze serpent. Uh, And you know the story of the bronze serpent uh, as the people of Israel Uh, were going out through the wilderness, leaving Egypt. Uh, They were in open, notorious rebellion against God and against Moses, and God sent a a group of fiery serpents who bit them and caused them to die. And if you turn to Numbers chapter 21, verses 5 to 9, we read as follows. They, the Israelites, spoke against God, And against Moses and said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. And by the way, that was manna. That was the food from God. They had forgotten where they came from. They had forgotten the brick pits, all right, the beatings, the the murderings. It was so much better when we were getting beat in the brick pits, having to put straw. We missed that. You see how ridiculous people can be? And these were the Jewish people, the so-called chosen people. And so God executed judgment. And they were dying, even though they had brought out, been brought out of Egypt to be saved. And so the Lord said uh, to Moses, in fact, the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. 
The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. And so Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. And Jesus called Nicodemus to have faith in him in effectively the same way. And so you understand this. Looking at the snake, not worshiping the snake, but looking at the snake, looking at it, lifting up and saying, God, I have sinned. God, I need a savior. God, forgive me. And by looking up at that snake, they would be saved from death momentarily out in the desert. And so Jesus is using that as a foreshadowing of his own death. And so Nicodemus, you see, hears far more in this colloquy than he ever expected to hear on his secret visit to Jesus. I'm sure his head is exploding. Uh, and we can imagine him afterward, and I think this is what God intended. He must have left there, gone back to his home, pulled out the scriptures, and starts searching the scripture. Because I believe the Holy Spirit was convicting him. Every word that Jesus offered him was convicting his spirit. And so I'm sure he went back and said, let me see. Is it possible? Have I missed something here? What do I have to look at? And so Jesus had explained the elementary doctrine of the new birth. Uh, and so it's clear to me that Jesus intended for him to go back and check it out. You see, Jesus doesn't demand that you believe. Jesus gives you the reason to believe. He gives you the reason to believe. And then through your own spirit and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he leads you to new belief. And so what do you think most likely Nicodemus did when he went back? Well, I would submit to you that one of the first places he would look uh, would be Psalm 51. And I love that Psalm, uh, the Psalm of David. And this follows after David uh, committed that adulterous affair with Bathsheba. And you know that the child of that union uh, died. And David didn't write another psalm for 18 months. It was shut down. He couldn't write. He couldn't reveal the word of God because he had to come to brokenness in his own spirit. You see, that's what reconciliation is about, folks. I laugh when I hear people say, well, I've asked for forgiveness and, and, and throw it off uh, like it's a shower. No, reconciliation is a deep, submissive moment before God begging for forgiveness. And look at Psalm 51, verses 16 to 17. And this is really what it's about to be born again, where it says, and this is David. And you see these words cited by Jesus himself later. You do not, do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. You understand that's the nature of being born again. The fact that you come to God and say, I'm broken, I'm lost, I need help. I need a savior. Forgive me, Father, for where I've been and where I'm going. I need you. Without you, I'm nothing. And then, furthermore, I think he might have reflected on Psalm 87, verses 4 to 6, where the psalmist used the language of birth itself 
to prophesy the entrance of Israel's enemies into the holy city, Zion. This passage is extraordinary because in this passage, and this is written a thousand years before Christ would be born, this is a passage that talks about the forgiving nature of God to God's enemies. You'll see it on the board. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Let me stop. Rahab the prostitute who would become part of the kingdom of God. And Babylon, Babylon, the enemies of God, the conquerors of Israel. Yes, I submit to you that there were many in Babylon who became saved. And the leader of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, I believe is in heaven right now. You understand? Only because of the born-again nature of salvation, bowing before the throne of God. Among those who acknowledge me, Philistia too, and Tyre along with Cush. How about that? The Philistines, these evildoers, these people who were the avowed enemies of God, and yet you see, yet you see the loving heart of God allows them to be saved if they bow in submission uh, before God. This one was born, they will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed, of Zion, it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the people, this one was born in Zion. You understand it? It didn't matter where they started off. What mattered is how they finished. And God had wiped the slate clean because they came with a brokenness of heart. And so the, the, the psalm is clearly not speaking of a literal birth, but really a, a spiritual birth in the heavenly city of Jerusalem. Uh, and in fact, it would take a miracle, a very miracle, to wash the sins away of these evildoers, allowing them to enter the kingdom of God. You know, there's also, I believe he might have reflected on Ezekiel 37, uh, and that is the Valley of Dry Bones, and that was one of my father's favorite passages to preach on. I would say that once a year you could expect my dad to open up Ezekiel 37 and preach about the Valley of the Dry Bones. And you understand that because the prophet is given a vision of this valley filled with broken bones, every bone out of place, drying out and parched in the wilderness, worthless, death. And with that then, God speaks to Ezekiel and said, if you speak the word of God, if you speak the word of God with power, each bone will come to its own and a mighty army will rise up because of the word of God. If the word of God is preached and they listen, God will overcome the death. God will overcome the desperation and the desolation. And in fact, that's what happens in this vision. And in Ezekiel 37, verses 13 to 14, we read, then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord. There it is. You see, even the people of God, the Jewish people themselves needed to hear the word of God preached to them about their brokenness and desolation. You see, that's the nature of this message, that that's how we come to be born again, recognizing that we're lost, that we desperately need a savior. We cannot save ourselves. The, the saving power of God 
through salvation can only come through the power of God. You can't do it yourself. Uh, and the prophet says at one point, shall these bones live? And the answer is yes, they shall. Because you see, dead men can never bring themselves back to life. But dead men can bring themselves back to life when they bow in salvation before the throne of God. And so Jesus' intent here is to unsettle Nicodemus, so much so that he'd go back to the Bible, go back to the word of God, go back and study it, search the scriptures, reflect more deeply. You're Israel's teacher. Go back and look and see what I have said. See what it says about the promised Messiah. See what it says about the suffering of the Messiah. Come to terms with all that and think about, think about what it said about the Son of Man and how possibly I'm standing here talking face-to-face -face with the Son of Man, God himself. These are shattering challenges for a devout Jew. You know, it's 2,000 years later when we read the story, and maybe it kind of flows off our back. You know, maybe we're not impressed, but I want you to understand this is a devout Jew who had spent his life studying a scripture, and now he's being told that whatever he did was not good enough, and he had to come to an entirely new understanding of the will of God. And so the lesson for us today is very simply this, that even those who are truly, genuinely searching for answers and may be eager to believe in Jesus will still need the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in order to get that answer. They will not get their answer themselves. I don't care how much time you look at a Bible and read a Bible, you will not come to salvation simply on your own efforts or your own intellectual findings. Our own human efforts can never lead us to salvation, can never bring us into the presence of God. Uh, and so there are many people, many good people, uh, who acknowledge God as the Lord of heaven and earth, uh, many who work uh, at living a decent, God-fearing, moral life, uh, who come to worship him week by week in their own way, uh, and even day by day, and yet they still need to hear this message. Okay? I don't care where you go to church. I don't care about your religious denomination. I don't care that your grandparents started the church or your parents were leaders in the church. None of that counts one whit to God. The question is, what is your personal decision? Have you bowed before the throne of God? Have you asked God to wash you, to forgive you? Have you bowed and asked for salvation? Because religion can never save anyone. And I hope when you leave here today that you're going to come face to face with people who believe that religion can save them, and I want you to tell them the story of Nicodemus. And so what we have to know today is that really uh, becoming a Christian is far more than a matter of gaining knowledge or studying the Bible. It's far more than that. It's being convinced through saving faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, for you personally, not generically you, but you personally, your hand written your, your name written in his, his name on his palm. We need to humble ourselves and ask God for new life in such a powerful way. Now, look, millions of people have respect for Jesus. 
Many Jews will respect Jesus and call him a great prophet. Muslims will honor Jesus as a great prophet. Even many New Age adherents will speak glowingly about Jesus. But here's the fact. Unless you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and went to the cross willingly as the sacrifice for your sin, then you're not getting to heaven. That's it. John 14, verse 6, no man cometh to the Father except through me. Period. End of sentence. You understand? There's nothing else. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Let's understand that. And so every single person, whether he's a great evangelist, a great Bible teacher, a great Bible writer, I couldn't care less. Question is, have you accepted personally Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? The cross is the central point of life in this world. It is the indisputable central aspect of life. There is no way we can communicate to God, no way to have the kind of life that God wants us to have without the cross And you know, there have been great people in the past, truly great people in the past, who didn't understand that. One of my favorite people in history is Thomas Jefferson, the man who wrote the Declaration of Independence, one of the great leaders in the Continental Congress, uh, a man who was brilliant, brilliant. There's a passage that said that there were more people in the uh, Oval Office uh, when, when Thomas Jefferson, there was more intelligence in the, in the Oval Office when Thomas Jefferson dined alone than with any other group of people. He was brilliant. But I'm going to tell you what the human mind does. Thomas Jefferson took his Bible, took the New Testament, and cut out of that Bible every passage that related to a miracle of Jesus and every passage that said He was the son of God. He cut it out. And that Bible exists today in the Smithsonian Institute, in the rare books division. My son has picked up that Bible and looked at it because he had a background in rare books. And I'm going to tell you something. With all of that intelligence, all of that giftedness, it counts nothing. Because you see, he rejected Jesus Christ as the son of God. And so I'm telling you this right now. Don't rely on your intellect. Don't rely on your background. Don't rely on the fact that you think you're going to church and you're involved in a religious denomination. None of that matters one whit. You have to make today the first day for the rest of your life and the change of your life that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you did it, then you have to bring your family along. And if you bring your family along, then you have to bring your friends along. This is a message that resonates, not just today, but forever, that we have to do it. And so look, this is what Jesus taught Nicodemus. This is what the essence of life was with Nicodemus. We have no other other record that Jesus ever met Nicodemus again. But one meeting with Jesus is enough. One meeting with God like that is enough. One meeting face-to-face with the God of creation is enough. And so you see the radical message. You must be born again. And so church, that's the message I have for you today. 
And somebody asks you, what your pastor preach upon today? You know the answer. You must be born again. Go out to the parking lot. Go out to your country clubs. Go out to your families. Go out to wherever you are and spread that message. You must be born again. Amen, church? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the lesson that you've given us. I thank you for Christ, Lord. I thank you for his words that come to us over the centuries and have the same power today as they did through the Holy Spirit when he delivered it to Nicodemus. Lord, let us not rely on our religiosity. Let us not rely on religion. But Father, instead, let us rely on a brokenness of spirit as we come before your throne and desperately need to be forgiven and pledged to you forever, for eternity. Lord, bless our people. Let this message resonate in their heart. Give them the courage to go out today and give this message to a thousand other people who desperately need to hear it. Lord, protect them and be with them as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.